the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, everybody. Dennis and Julie. I'm Dennis Prigger, Julie Hartman. What episode is this? What number? 47? Wow. We have to have a big celebration on the one-year anniversary. We should pop open champagne. Okay. You don't drink. No, no, I'll, I'll drink. take care no, no, of no, it. No, 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. no. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not anti-drinking. I just did, I don't enjoy it that much. I prefer cigars. So, since we were last together, I was in Florida for 10 days, and I have a thought that I want to bounce off you, and I, there's so much to talk about. It's a little uh, intimidating, actually. So, I have a thought, and it's, you, I know you'll resonate to this. I was with uh, Jordan Peterson and six scholars I don't know whether to say other scholars or six scholars. I, you can I, say other. Okay, thank you. No, no, it is interesting. I debate, I debate that. Anyway, we were we were studying the Book of Exodus for the Daily Wire. They and they they have they will eventually have millions of views, which is which is astonishing, because my one of my biggest desires in life was to bring the Torah to the world. Jews shouldn't hide it. It's the greatest uh, of of all the Bible. The first five books are the most important. So we were we were doing this, and so here's my thought: the effect it had on me. Imagine this: I'm I, I, I'm brought to Florida to participate in this with truly six, seven luminous minds. I, I don't normally say that. And luminous hearts. They were they were good people. And I have a good radar for that, which we will talk about. And so here is my thought. How many people have, and most people don't even think about this, how many people have elevating experiences in their lives? A lot of people have fun experiences. Even intellectual, uh, you you name it, right? Exciting, fun, but elevating, where you could say it brought out the best in me, and even made me a little bit better a person, a little bit deeper. I think people used to have that more, and I, uh, of course, I ascribe that in large measure to the fact that people were more religious. They'd get together for Bible study. You have any thoughts on that? Do people have elevating experiences? Oh, it's something I think about all the time. No, increasingly in in my generation, we seek fun experiences 
over elevating experiences. I don't even know if if people would be able to identify what the difference is. If you said to someone, what is an elevating experience? I don't know if they could answer you. Right. That was that was my thought. I, I, it's, it's actually quite ter- interesting to think about what, what they would say. I don't know. Well, so for example, as you now know, I have an elevating experience every week at the minimum because of my, my Shabbat, my Sabbath. Right. So Friday night, with a group you're you're now acquainted with, the the the, the chosen dozen, and then on Saturday with the, in, at the synagogue that I teach every week. By the way, that is a great advertisement for the Sabbath to having that because to have a day each week that's elevating, it is impossible to overstate its role in my life. And you have to work it into your schedule. I think sometimes what people think when they're seeking elevating experiences is, oh, you know, later this month I'll go to a performance or I'll go to a museum. But sometimes when we think we're going to do those things, they never really happen. The can keeps getting kicked down the road. So to block off that time where every single Friday you have to go and do this. That's right. And have to because I, I... I guess, as people, many people would know, I believe God commanded the Ten Commandments. So I have to keep the Sabbath. I don't, I don't have a choice. And if I had a choice, even though I know how valuable it is, I, I would probably work seven days a week. You know, I was, I was thinking about this subject of, maybe not in exact terms, but of elevating experiences because I mentioned on our last episode that I'm rereading Eric Metaxas's Martin Luther biography, which is so good. He is an extraordinary writer. Don't tell Eric. <laughs> if you ever are with him, don't tell I him. I know that. you've told me. Okay. <laughs> For those of you who don't understand the reference, Dennis has told me that Eric is quite a character. Total. He, he makes us look subdued. Really? Yeah. Well, we look subdued on this podcast. If you right. saw us I mean, 10 privately, minutes ago. Yes, even right. privately. Even Eric privately. is a wild man. And, and by the way, Eric proves that outliers do all the good in the world. He's another example of it. Anyway, go ahead. Well, it's amazing that he's so, and I, I obviously trust what you're saying, that he's so goofy and, and mm-hmm. so um, you know theatrical because when he's, his writing is... Oh, right. Is, all, all, all of us, we know when to be serious. Right. Yeah. But I'm, I'm reading this book learning about Martin Luther and I'm just enthralled. I ha- I'm I'm so blessed really thanks to the world that you've opened me up to not just with your bible commentary but the the conservative media world where I just read books constantly that truly enthrall me. Mm-hmm. And I I'm was reading the the book the other day and I was thinking how many other people read books that are truly enthralling to them or seek these you know, as opposed to just entertaining. Yes. Well, also that, because people read novels and so on. Also, a lot of people my age and I used to to do this. You know, a few a few years ago, read a lot of like self help books, mm-hmm. or you know, um, how to how to make the most of your twenties, or how to be a really good, effective worker, or a really effective boss. And I'm just, ugh. I remember being in the stage of my life where I read those books, and mm-hmm. I didn't even realize how dull and dry and desiccating they were. But now that I'm in the stage where I'm seeking enthralling, transcendent experiences, I, I realize the, the gap. So I just want to, before we leave that topic, I want to emphasize again the importance of elevating. That 
it's ironic because elevate and deep are, are opposites theoretically, geographic opposites or locale mm-hmm. opposites, but they're they're related. What what do people do to be deeper and to be better? And 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 it's, I'm not blaming them. They, they just it, it's it's not part of the vocabulary. When when I was at graduate school, I mean, you know, the 1970s. I remember I wrote a piece, which I submitted to the New York Times, which, of course, they rejected, uh, about my life at Columbia University. And one of the points I made was when they're not reading for tests or papers, they're not reading. That was me. Because I was so sick of reading. Well, so that's what that's what school does. Yes. It, and even even when in high school, and I think I've talked about this here on my show, Timeless, when I, I had to read Beowulf, I read The Scarlet Letter, I read Shakespeare, and I don't remember, I mean, I just, I reread The Scarlet Letter this summer, and the book is actually on my set because I love it so much, and I think it's such an important read. But on my graduation day from high school, I could not tell you any specific fact about any of the books that I read. I couldn't even remember the characters' names, because you read them so quickly, and then you're tested. And you have to write papers right. on them. So th- this is what teachers should do. They don't teach. They, they, if you read Macbeth, the teacher should spend a week on what does Shakespeare want to tell us about life in Macbeth. Otherwise, it's pointless to read it. You know another thing that teachers do, and, and by the way, I've done a lot of research on this. I'm, next week, I'm actually interviewing um, this guy on, on my show, John Agresto, who wrote this fabulous book, The Death of Learning. Have you read it? No, but it, it sounds so right. Gosh, it resonated with me so much. So this isn't just true of my educational experience, but it's also true of, of, of others. Teachers have this idea that, that the student, especially in, in humanities courses, like in English classes, they have this idea that the students in the discussion should figure out what the book is about. And I remember in high school, like, you know, we were assigned t- two or three chapters to read of a book. And then the next day we'd show up to, Eng- to English class and the teacher wouldn't, like, help explain the themes of the chapter or what it's really about. Instead, sh- she or he would just allow us to talk about it. But we're 14-year-old squirts who don't understand. exactly We right. don't understand. So we're just like, I remember, uh, I remember sitting there right. going, I'm so stupid. I don't understand oh, this. Oh, God. I thought I was an uh, you idiot. So touched a sensitive uh, point in my own life. Two things: one, I remember the same thing. So I'd be in school, and the teacher, so what do you think? The teacher would say, and I remember thinking, who cares what I think? You're I the teacher. It's irrelevant what I think. And then another kid would raise his or her hand, and I, I don't really want to know. And I like the kid. It's not I didn't like the kid. At fifteen, if you. You you shouldn't be have the same insight as the fifty year old teacher or the forty year old teacher. That's why they're the teacher. Mm-hmm. If your insights are as wonderful as theirs, why are they in the front of the classroom? By the way, I had the same exact. I mean, to the word, when I was about eighteen or twenty one, some some point between them, they they lowered the voting age from twenty one to eighteen. I had my first serious girlfriend. So I remember saying to her, why are they giving me the vote? I don't know anything. I swear to you, I said those words. And I was well read. I mean, I took ideas seriously. But I knew my, my ability to vote, I don't know, I don't know anything. And, and now they want to lower it to 16. Oh, 
You know, uh, I believe it was the New Zealand Supreme Court recently ruled that uh, keeping the voting age at 18 is discriminatory. Of course it is. But but in that in, in that case, keeping it at five is discriminatory. Right. The, the 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 nursery school kids are not getting a vote. So they were they were saying it's you by know. the way, you know, my theory on that. Why? Why uh, people on the left want to lower the vote uh, to 16? Because most people are liberal at that age and they will vote. Democrat. Well, that, OK, that that's the political reason. Entirely right. There's another reason, in my opinion. They are not wiser than they were at 15. Mm. So therefore, they That's don't... very good point. Yes. So That's therefore, exactly why, why not have them vote? It's not fair. I'm no wiser. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 50-year-old liberal. I am no wiser than, yes. than a 16-year-old liberal. So true. So so back to this, this discussion of, of teaching, you know, also, I think at that age, I, I sort of go back and forth with this because... On the one hand, I'm really glad that at least, even if I don't remember anything about Beowulf, I'm glad that I at least know that Beowulf exists. Um, But I also think even assigning that kind of reading when you're 15 or 16 or 17, we don't have enough life experience to truly appreciate a, a book like that. That's the reason that that's what, that's the purpose of a teacher. I know. So that's what's so sad. In, in the te- I remember my teachers would hold back explaining the book because they didn't want, they wanted to make sure that we did the reading. And they thought that if they gave a summary or if they talked about the themes, then every single day kids would show up to class and they would know that the teacher would basically synopsize the readings of the night before so they wouldn't have to do it. But my response to them would be, it's way more important to get the students excited about the book and to explain the book to them than actually having them like read it. Make sure that they did the previous night's readings. Because if you make them excited about it, they will do the readings. That's exactly right. Do you know, you don't know this, which is rare because you know basically my life. But when I was at Columbia, the graduate school, so that was all the way up in Manhattan, high in Manhattan, 116th Street. I taught Hebrew school. So high school kids whose parents basically forced them to go after school, you know, it's like Bible class for Christian kids. So it was two nights a week, and I went all the way to far into Brooklyn, almost near the beach, Coney Island, and I would teach at this Jewish center, and I said to the kids the first night they came, I knew they didn't want to be there. They wanted to be having fun, and here they are at Hebrew school. (laughs) So I said to them, and I remember I, I, I just looked at them when I said it, and I had such a joy. I said, listen, it is my task to get you interested in this material. So I want you to know something. You don't have to attend another class after tonight. You have to pass the test, but you do not have to come to class. Oh, wow. I will either earn your desire to learn with me, or you could stay home. They they couldn't believe that that but that is my belief. A teacher has to earn. Yep. Now, you, obviously, at school, there were, it, it would be irrelevant if God came down and there would kids would just rather play basketball or or steal ATM uh, machines. But the uh, that was what I did, and I, I thought 
And I was, by the way, they showed up. They showed up. I made the material interesting. So one more point on this, because you used my favorite word, my new favorite. You know, I have a bunch of favorite verbs like like, as opposed earn. to love, earn. Here's another one. Explain. Because what, what you said, I read Beowulf. What, what did I understand about Beowulf? Which you're entirely right, of course. Nothing. But that's the truth about the Bible. That's why I'm doing my commentary on the first five books. Because if you pick up those five books on your own, it's like reading Beowulf. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you'll understand some of the, uh, some of the stories, but what, what is the, why is this any great? What, what, is, what is this relevant to my life? That's what I do in the rational Bible. It's such a missed opportunity because there are so many wonderful, deep, enriching books out there. Well, that is the whole point of them. And they just, you know... I really look back and I realize how much of my high school experience was about testing and about cranking out and writing essays. And I just, and it sounds harsh to say, because as I've said many times, in, in many ways, I do appreciate my high school, but I sort of want to go back and ask some of my teachers, like, why did you focus so much on that? You know, do you know that your job was to be here to make me excited about this? Why did right. on, you know, my 11th grade English final exam, as I said last time, I like, Half of the the grade in one of the sections was to be able to identify what number sonnet that uh, of shape like by right. they would give you two lines and you'd uh-huh. go what what number what year was it written what I mean they could practically ask you like what kind of ink was it written in they just such minutia I I remember I had a test once in history class at the end of the year it was like the last week of school and they we had finished the curriculum and my teacher didn't know what else to do with us and he quizzed us. He had us uh, take this test on like um, a series of questions. We had to name, for instance, on one of them, the top five like most uh, used airports in the United States in order, in exact order. I guess number one is is JFK. Number no, two no, is LA. No, no, I think uh, number one is Atlanta. Oh. I oh, think? yes, that's right. That It's yeah. actually true. Well, I know my airports. Well. I live in And them. maybe that would be interesting for you as a guy. It, it would. Well, but, not as a traveler. Yeah, but, but anyway, go I on. I remember there was like the, these, just like, and you know, you would get points off if you put Atlanta as number two instead of number, like you had to list the top five exactly in order. Mm-hmm. Or the, you know, um, top, you know, five like most used freeways. And it, like just stuff like why are you, mm-hmm. and it was just for the sake of a test, just to test mm-hmm. us. And I just thought, what it, What about in that last week if my teacher picked some leader or person in history and just talked to us about him or her for, you know, five days? Why is it important? That is all a teacher needs to do. Why is this important? Yes. Do you know you will get a kick out of this? I wrote uh, an essay in in high school. I may still have it, actually. I have, to, I have to look uh, in, in, you know, my hidden file somewhere. And it, it was titled, The Tyranny of Marxism. Did I tell you this? It's actually a title of one of our episodes. M-A-R-K-S-I-S-M. Yes, yes right, Sean? Isn't it a Marx, title of one not of Karl Marx. School Marx. Yeah. Yes, I knew that. I, You know what? I didn't. And I'm th- as you were just saying that right now, I was thinking... Thank God back in high school, I didn't realize mm-hmm. how messed up it was that mm-hmm. I was constantly being evaluated and tested, tested mm-hmm. and I wasn't retaining any of the material. Because I think if I had realized that, 
I would have been a re- more rebellious child than mm-hmm. I was. Like I was. Yes. I graduated in the top 80% of my high school class, which people think, what's so bad about that? Till they think another few seconds and realize it's the bottom 20%. (laughs) History repeats itself, and we're seeing that play out right now with inflation. When Jimmy Carter took office in the late 1970s, gold sold for $140 an ounce. By 1980, the price of gold topped out at $870 an ounce. If today's market performs like it did when Carter was in office, the price of gold could skyrocket from $1,800 an ounce to $9,000. Than $300 an ounce. This is Julie Hartman for AmFed Coin and Bullion. Don't miss out on a great opportunity to purchase precious metals while prices are still stable. If history repeats itself, we'll see a run on gold, silver, and platinum that could drive up prices. Be smart and buy now. At AmFed, you're dealing with specialists who provide you with personalized attention, honest information, and sound advice. You'll never be pressured into buying outrageously priced so-called collectible coins or anything that you don't need. Take advantage of today's prices and consider AmFed coin in bullion. Call 1-800-221-7694 or go to AmericanFederal.com. That's AmericanFederal.com. So... We, we, we touched upon this, but only minimally. I want to talk to you about a, a, a couple of big themes. One is, and I have seen it at work this very week with you. This very day. This very day. So I have on the, on the internet, I've been writing a column every week for 20 years. So it's a thousand columns. It's amazing. I'm, I'm even surprised. Like, when did I come up with all those topics? That's my first question in my mind. Anyway, I wrote a two-part series, Questions You Should Ask Before You Get Married. Have you ever seen that? No. Did you know I wrote it? Yes, I did. Okay. So it's a series of like eight questions. If you're thinking of getting married, before you do, ask these questions of yourself and about the other about the person you're thinking of marrying. One of them is, it's... I'll just interrupt for a second. It's basically a red flag or yellow flag producer, the, my, my questions. If, if enough of these questions have a, have a different answer than I'm giving, there are some yellow flags here. So here is one example. Does the person you're thinking of marrying have same-sex friends, close same-sex friends, which I... I I never heard anybody pose as an important question to ask of someone one is thinking of marrying. So I, you know, having this life experience and working a lot with young people and people wanting to get married and so on, I realized uh, in life it's not a good sign if a woman only has male friends or if a man only has female friends. It's okay to have, but it's, it's, it's generally healthier if they have a bunch of same-sex friends. You, who have passed every test I ever threw up in my brain about a human being, uh, you have a lot of f- uh, female friends. Many of whom you've met. And, and I, one is more impressive than the next, which I also have a theory on, which is either we'll get to or not but 
uh, and I have always had, I, I don't, I never had a female friend. I, I was married before the, my, my, you know, sue my current wife, current wife, that's hilarious. Sue my wife, current and permanent, I, I should hasten to add. <laughs> I got to say when you just yeah, said that. Yeah, that's pretty funny, I, I know. My current wife, is, <laughs> who knows what will happen. No, no, no. It, it, oh, it's I permanent. only said it because I, I have been married before. Yes, okay. yes. So uh, she's my best friend, but uh, and, and that's the ideal, that your best friend you're married to. But other than that, I've uh, other than a wife, I've never had a female friend. Uh, but actually, you're you're really in effect my first. Wow, that, I'm honored. That is a big deal. Wow, we dev- we've never thought of this before. You're right. Knowing what I know about I'm your life, of, that's yeah, I'm true. Sort of shocked. Holy mackerel! Wow. You know, or, did you ever hear of holy mackerel? By the way, is this? The uh, yes, I time? have, but but. So you know, you know what where its does origin. It come from? I'll tell no. you where, because Catholics didn't eat meat on Fridays, so mackerel oh. was a fish, and and therefore it was called holy mackerel. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm a bad Catholic. I eat I eat meat every day. If I don't eat meat every day, I feel faint. Oh, I think meat is the healthiest food there is. But that's uh, I got that from Segway. Jordan Peterson. <laughs> Segway, right? Exactly. So. I'm your first so human he, friend. Great. Yes. So yes. So now let, let's so let's continue here because of the the proximity to the very present moment. So I met this magnificent uh, woman in uh, Denmark when I when I gave a speech there a couple of months ago, and Sue and I just fell in love with her, and we invited her to stay with us, and she is staying with us. She's never been to America before, and she is exactly as terrific as we assumed. And I thought, I don't even know if I mentioned this to Sue or not, but I was thinking, I really, really want her to meet Julie. You mean when you were in Denmark? Or or when I invited her. Yeah, when I knew she was going to come here. And I thought... Knowing them, knowing you so long, and knowing her minimally, but thinking I knew her well and I was right, it was, I said to Sue, it was inconceivable to me that you guys wouldn't hit it off. Am I right? You're right. We have certainly hit it off. We had such a fun morning this morning. We went driving around Beverly Hills because... Even though it was so funny because in the car we were talking about very intellectual, deep things, but we were driving around like Rodeo Drive. I was giving her a celebrity tour because in addition to being deep people, we also have a hint of shallowness in that we both like the Real Housewives franchise. In fact, when I met Astrid yesterday, Astrid said to me, one of the first things she said to me was, you know, I watch Dennis and Julie and so I know that you also watch Real Housewives. Dennis, do you know what Real Housewives is? Totally. Real Housewives of New Jersey, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Real Housewives of Copenhagen. Astrid, you should be the star of the Real Housewives of Copenhagen. They should take that. Yeah, but she's not a housewife. She's only from Copenhagen. She doesn't fulfill both criteria. Well, actually, a lot of housewives are housewives. I actually, I know about it. I actually watched an episode in a hotel room. It's so good. Oh, I found it so boring. (laughs) Uh, 
my addiction in hotel rooms is forensic files. Okay, that's true. Uh, okay. I love forensic uh, files, it, it's too. It's painful how much I love it. and But I only watch it in, in hotel rooms. But I, I, I don't get the appeal. It, I think it, it appeals much it more to women. Fe- oh, well, of course. Yeah. It's women and gay men is the audience. But uh-huh. it's I love I actually, you know, I should Astrid. I'm 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 referring to Astrid right now because she's in she's watching this uh, being taped in the control room. But Astrid, I want to ask you off air what you like, what you like so much about it, because what I like is it's my one arena where I feel like I can turn my brain off and I can be like, I don't know. I can indulge my, as I said, shallow side right. because yeah, I'm no, constantly no, no. Right. like reading. I feel like I have to learn so much and I, I enjoy learning, but I'm always, you know, you know, I have this voice in yeah. my head. Do you know enough? Are you, are you maximizing your potential enough? Are you reading enough? Are you working enough? And so that's like my vacation. Right. Anyway, we had a wonderful time back to this, back yes. to this point about same sex. Right. We hit it off immediately. And you know, what I said to to you, Dennis, just before the air was like, I, with her and with me, there's no like cattiness. There's no jealousy. There's no any anything bad. We just are two people who really wanted to know each other and enjoy each other. And I find that with a lot of my female friends too. And I would imagine Astrid's female friends are the same. I have no, not one shred of gossipiness or catty, any of that in my female friendships because I don't have tolerance for it and the people that I attract as friends also don't have tolerance for it. So now I'm going to get... This is beautiful because when we talk, even off air, but certainly on, on, on Dennis and Julie, it's sort of like an archaeological dig. <laughs> and so we're going to go deeper. So I'm going to go deeper. And I, I know Astrid would be okay because she mentioned this. Uh, I actually did a, a, a um, fireside chat with her, which people will be able to see soon. So I, I know your life somewhat, a lot, and I know her life somewhat. And the two of you have had pain. So I actually have posed a question on my happiness hour. In passing, I don't think I ever devoted an hour to it. Now I will. Is it an unmixed blessing to have a happy childhood? And people, people I know thought, what kind of bizarre question is that? It's, of course, it's great to have a happy childhood. But I, 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 if I were certain of it, I wouldn't ask the question. Now, it's not great to have an unrelieved, unhappy childhood. Right. Better to have more happiness than unhappiness, but. A, a a a childhood that is so protected from pain how's this better is it good to have a painless childhood maybe that's the way i should put it rather than happy okay. you you didn't have a painless childhood and she didn't have a painless childhood she lost her dad who by all accounts was a wonderful man when she was 14 and he had had cancer for years before that so she didn't lose him before she was 14, but she lost him in a certain sense because of his suffering. And you have been open about your sister who has, uh, who, who is, uh, uh, what's, what's our word here? Severely autistic. Yes. And, and, and now I have an autistic stepson, as you well know, right. but 
it's even odd to say they're both autistic. I know, I know it is. There's no comparison between the two. He is not self-sufficient. He has to live with Sue and me. Right. Uh, but he's a joy. I mean, he is, he, he's actually enjoyable to be with because he he's... He's easy, and he's also easy to be <laughs> That's with. That's the point. He, he's incredibly easy. Your sister is so difficult, she can't live with you. With yes. your with, your, with yes. your family, you've had this your whole life. Yep. So this is an unenduring pain that you have had, and and it's a very interesting question because parents, for three generations since the parents of World War II, that was my parents' generation. I'm the ba- I'm the baby boomer. There, my parents that were not part of this, believe me, but vast numbers of American parents. Their biggest aim was that their child have no pain because they had World War II and they had the Depression. So I'm going to make sure my kid has no pain at all and the rest has been downhill. Well, it's interesting to think about because as as a – I mean I, I'm not a child now, but as someone who doesn't have kids, so in a sense is still a child of some someone um, only, uh, I – am grateful for my pain, which sounds odd. I, I obviously wouldn't want if I could go right, back and make it yes. right. But I, but I'm, I'm grateful for what it has taught me and who it is, how it has shaped me. But I mean, obviously, I'm probably a few years away, at least, from having a child. But to think about bringing a child into this world and maybe hoping that they have a some pain. No. It's yes. hard, hard to, right. you know, because I can right. see on the, like, having a kid and wanting to just well, okay, protect so them, Well, okay, so here's the them. answer. You, you don't inflict pain on your of child. You don't prevent them from having natural pain. And, and, but, natural what, pain meaning? meaning so, so, for example, I remember if I would get, if I would injure myself, and I go, oh, my God, it hurts, it hurts. My, my father's answer, which was not sympathetic, I fully acknowledge, was... Dennis, it's only pain. Nobody died from pain. See, I have a pang in my heart hearing that. If I had a little boy running and scraped right. his knee, <laughs> and I, why, would, I, I, that's why you need a husband. I would Fa- feel father, really, really fathers upset. are tougher. That's right. the The mother is supposed to cuddle. I interestingly, I didn't have a cuddling mother or a cuddling father. Right. And by the way, I will say, I think that that prepared me for life really well. I think it could have been harmful for another kid, perhaps. But my nature, which is actually quite sensitive because I so hate to see people suffer, but they toughen me up. And that people marvel at, you know, how, what thick skin I have because I'm attacked so much. And if anybody doesn't believe me, just go on the Internet and yeah. Google my name. <laughs> Especially in the Daily Mail. Or Rolling Stone. Rolling St- Stone called you the biggest conservative COVID jack. That's all? Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's a lot worse. I saw that. I was like, yes, oh, my I, gosh. Well, exactly. But I, I grew up understanding pain is part of life. So here's the key. So, Dennis, deal with it. Yep. They didn't protect me. I, I, I you know, you know, kids, I mean, have we discussed this? Did you have, um, what are they called, jungle bars? What are they called? Like the play- Huh, what are they called? Monkey bars. Monkey bars. Did you have monkey bars? At school? Anywhere. Yeah, at school, I did. You did? Yes. Your school allowed monkey bars? Yes. I thought they were sort of banned now. 
Oh, are they? Uh, I, I thought News so. to me, what, I have what about, Well, and you're, okay, so you're, you're almost a professional swimmer. So I, <laughs> I'm not joking, right? It's true. Yes. So I'm curious. Did you know that California banned uh, uh, diving boards at homes like 25 years ago? No. Yes. Well, I... It, you cannot have in California wow. a diving board. At your private home? At your private home. How do they enforce that? Well, the way they'll enforce, uh, what is it, uh, the, the hope for, hoped for ban on gas stoves. Oh, the, what about the, the, the ban on, on gas-powered cars? Right. Well, those, those are easier. Well, not a stove, but well, a car easy. is I mean, easier it, to it, spot out. Well, companies that sell diving boards presumably would have to would ha- so would know sick. they could be. Oh, it's so totally sick. sick. Exactly. Of course, we had diving boards, and there were accidents. And, and the, the aim of a painless life is, is catastrophic. Well, these people are, we need to get back to this point, but these people are so stupid because on the one hand, they're banning diving boards because those are unsafe, but then they're having no cash bail laws and letting criminals go out on the street. That's How right. How does that make any sense? Because the, what is it? The great Talmudic phrase of 2,000 years ago, those who are cruel to the kind will be kind to the yep. cruel. So on this point of of having a painful childhood or a childhood with some pain, I hope Astrid doesn't mind if I'm talking about this, but I but because she talked about it on, on the fireside chat, I I feel comfortable saying we were, we were talking about um, her her father passing, and one of the things that Astrid said to me was that um, you know when she goes out in life now because I said how, how has that affected you or, or changed you and she said I just I really appreciate people more and she said when I meet someone and they're willing to extend a hand out to me and I see that they appreciate me I am very much willing and happy to take it and it it made me think and I said this to, to Astrid in the car, so she's, she's going to get a little repeat of my, my sermon. I said, it's so interesting to think that people, everyone walks through life with different goggles on or different glasses on. Like someone who had survived cancer must walk around every single day feeling like they had a new lease on life. Mm-hmm. Like they must sit in a car during a traffic jam and think when the rest of us are like, oh my God, the, you know, this traffic jam, they must think I am so lucky to be sitting here because, uh, you know, things could have been so differently. Or, you know, Astrid has these certain glasses on because of her experience with, you know, her, her father's tragic passing. I have certain glasses on in life because of my experience with my sister. We all have these... Well, not all, but yeah. Right. Well, well, that, right. well. I was. Everyone has glasses on, uh-huh. but some people's glasses. Well, actually, I shouldn't say everyone has them on because I actually what I said to, to Astrid in the car as we were talking about this was some people don't. Some people don't have a strong yes. or good worldview. Well, when a girl came up at the microphone at a college that I spoke at a few years ago, because I say if you don't agree with me, come first yes. up to a microphone. So she goes. So are you saying to me, uh, Dennis Prager, are you s- telling us that we women are not oppressed in America? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's exactly what I said. That, yeah, I said, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Let me understand something. Your parents or somebody is paying $50,000 a year for you to be here. You have a plush dormitory room. You have an Olympic-sized swimming pool. You, you have don't have to sauna. wear a hijab you everywhere you go. Right, yes. Cetera, you don't have to get cetera, permission cetera, from your husband or your you're not, brother you're not to working, leave the house. You're not doing any work for any of this. 
And, and you're telling me you're oppressed? I'd like to introduce you to Monorail, America's investment app that takes you from where you are to where you want to be. Monorail is an investment and savings app that is made for patriots by patriots. It doesn't matter whether you're an Apple fan or if you prefer Android. Monorail is available in both environments and online at monorail.com. Monorail is safer for users with bank-level encryption and biometrics. Your money is protected with Monorail through the Securities Investor Protection Corporation and the FDIC. No matter how you engage with Monorail, you're getting the security and the safety that you need, whether you're adding funds to your investment account, looking to buy a stock, or putting money aside for future purchases. With Monorail, you can put your money where it matters and utilize the economic power that built this country. Don't go somewhere else to trade stocks. Monorail gives you the freedom to purchase whole or fractional shares in companies that you believe in. It only takes five minutes to download the app and to set it up. Join the pro-America money movement. Join Monorail. It, it, it's, there's a comedian. I forgot his name. My, my, my older son uh, is a big fan of, the, of comedians. And he told me about this guy as a routine. Obviously, I'm, I'm going to totally ruin it but it goes something like this you know folks we really do need perspective you know you're sitting in the middle seat on an airplane going from new york to la and you're complaining you're in the middle seat so let me let's try to understand something you're in an air-conditioned cabin over the rockies where a hundred years ago people died climbing them in a year-long trek just across them. You're doing this in four and a half hours, <laughs> and, and you're complaining about the middle seat. Uh, now, I complain all the time when yes. I have a middle seat. Right? No, 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 no. It, it's just a, okay, but you have the perspective. Yes. No, but it's true. Yeah, it's true. So that's your point, though. If you have cancer, every every day is is a gift. So you having had your sister, she, Astrid having had the tragedy of her dad dying at, when she was so young, and when he was so young, I mean, the tragedy for him is, is also terrible, uh, and, and for the mother. And, uh, it, so it goes back to my original question, or my, not, it's not even a question, it's a statement. A painless childhood is bad to have. It doesn't help your character, and it doesn't help your happiness. Yep, that's true. And, you know, I, I guess what I would say to people who haven't had a pain... A painful, or any pain. <laughs> haven't had any pain. It's it, it doesn't mean that you can't be deep, or you can't, you know... It's the same thing with, like... You know, I say to you all the time, Dennis, one of the worst things that happened to America or one of the biggest problems with America is that it became so good because when it became so good, then people started looking for problems, microaggressions, men are now women, women are now men, and they screwed it all up. But it doesn't have to be this way. If you, if, if we had as a country kept in mind that we had it so good and we kept our wits about us and our, in a perspective, we could have avoided the, the route that we've gone down. So I would say the same to people who haven't experienced any pain. But, the, but actually that segues into another question I have. Do you think it's true that some people have a a painless childhood? Hmm. I mean, obviously there are gradations, but do you think, do you think anyone is without pain in their well, lives? Well, it depends. Well, I guess gradation is the operative word. I have asked that on the air, and do you know, interestingly, 
I, the kids who call kids, the adults who call in about their kid, their kiddiehood, who uh, disproportionately had, seemed to have had happy childhoods, were when they were one of many kids. Well, I'm sorry. What do you mean when people call in about their kiddiehood? About their childhood. Okay. You mean on your show? Yes, they call in on my show. Okay. So I I, I believe because I I try to see big I try to see patterns among callers people who grew up with let's say four or more siblings seem to have been more likely to have had a happy childhood and and here's the interesting again it's somewhat counterintuitive partially because the parents couldn't helicopter them when you have five kids you can't helicopter each kid you can helicopter one or two kids, but not five, six, or seven. And it's probably harder to anoint one as the favorite. Well, or, oh, that, that, that's bad, really bad. It's like bad. a rub, well, rugby that's scrum. Joseph and his brothers. That's, what, that's the great story in the Bible. Right. You know, I thought you was, meant Joseph Tolushkin when oh, you said hilarious. Joseph. I yes, he didn't have any brothers. Uh, but Joseph, the, 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 uh, the individual in Genesis, with his 11 brothers and, and the... Uh, they hated him because he was favored by their father Jacob. It's a, it's a. By the way, just parenthetical. Every family in Genesis is dysfunctional, and I think it is God's way, because I think God is the ultimate author of the of these first five books, of saying, hey, if you have a dysfunctional family, please know that's the norm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's not as bad as theirs. No, I don't know anybody who was sold into slavery by their brothers like Joseph was. Right. That's pretty egregious. Uh, pretty egregious. But the the larger point is, uh, I don't know if it's true. I would love some survey that I, if I would trust it. Are kids who grow up with a lot of siblings happier? I'll I t- bet they are. Yes. Yeah. Well, they're they're certainly less neurotic and less spoiled. You know something, this is so off topic, but again, welcome to Dennis and Julie. This is either going to make total sense to you or no sense to you. I've noticed it's not, it can't be ascribed to everything, but if something seems to make sense, even if you don't really have any proof or like data, it probably is true. Like for instance, with this sibling, more people with more siblings seem to be happier. I have no data to support that, but rationally that seems to make sense. So it's probably... So So you don't know my old, one of my oldest lines about studies? No. I love it. I love when I have a new line for you. If it's common, if it seems like common sense, then it's probably accurate. This is the way I've put it. The reason studies don't interest me is either they support what common sense suggests or they're wrong. Yep. I have never encountered a study that was opposite of what common sense yes. suggested. The only, There is only one, I shouldn't say never, there is one, and it turned out to be accurate. Oh, really? What is yes, it? Yes, that people who live together before marriage are more likely to divorce when they get married. Wow. Which was counterintuitive, because you think, oh, you never heard this? No, I oh, didn't know that. Oh, this yes, and, and when you hear the reason, it completely makes sense. So that's why, I mean, my rule still holds. The study supported common sense, but my common sense didn't realize this. People who live together are less likely to break up 
if things are bad because they're living together. It's much easier to break up with someone before marriage if you are not living together. Living together is oh. like a divorce. Oh, I see. The, the... So therefore, yeah. they will marry through inertia, whereas the couple that isn't living together and has problems will simply just break up. Astrid and I were talking about that just a few minutes ago, about how it's, it's easier to stay with someone if you're living with Yes, them. well, we had talked about that, and because I, I think I, I raised it, yes, I raised it on my male-female hour this, this past week. So anyway, other than that, Every study that I've ever seen, I had already known the answer, as it were, because I used common sense. Yep. So that that is an especially yeah. helpful tool for people to know of right now, because we live in the age of studies galore. Right. You studies. Know. Oh my gosh. Okay. Studies say <laughs> is what to ancient man thus saith the Lord was. Yes. So true. I hate it when people say that. Studies say, and sometimes even on on my show, and I'm I'm sure that you find this on on yours. When I'm like, for instance, I did a I did a segment recently on actually it was my first show of all things on the uh, increasingly growing uh, phenomena. Increasingly growing that was stupid. Growing phenomena of uh, cannabis induced psychosis, where marijuana products now are so. Um, concentrated with THC that people are are taking them in mass and they're having these like really bad hallucinations and paranoia as a result. And I remember, you know, writing up the the segment and I wanted to pull some some data f- about how many people use marijuana or uh what the the rate of addiction is and I was just like how do how do I know anymore if this is even accurate, you know? And and even if I if I tell it to my viewers Hmm. It will probably fall on deaf ears because there's none of us, none of us who are smart, trust studies of any kind anymore. So you're you're hitting a, a real sore spot in me. I hate marijuana. I mean, I, I, I loathe it. I've always loathed it. When I was in high school, and it was already popular then, and college even more so, and then even heavier drugs like LSD, which is not even known today, but... I I remember thinking, and I thank God that I thought this, I'll tamper with my health, but I won't tamper with my brain. You're very wise. And but, but you know that it's the most controversial stand I've taken. In, in the, most of my listeners are conservative, not all, but most. This position, I'd rather my child smoke cigarettes than smoke a joint is the least popular position I ever took in my 40 years of radio. Even conservatives disagreed with me. Let me tell you, as someone who graduated from college, I absolutely agree with you. And about a year ago, or certainly two years ago, I would have strongly disagreed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've I've said it on this show that I used to, to... use i would i never know how to refer to it because i never smoked i hated smoking a joint i would always cough but i i have in my life used edibles and it's you know i realized that it was sort of becoming an escape for me where i was well what else is it uh, yeah it's not sort of that's well what it's, some that people it's, use it for 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 what well I should clarify. Yes, you're right that they always use it for an escape, but sometimes the escape is for fun. I was using it as kind of an emotional escape. Okay. It, it, okay. 
it's not the exact same thing, but, but it's, it's on a continuum. Right. And I, and I, like you, realized, you know, I don't think this is a, a good thing. And so I quit and I haven't had it in many, many months and I never will have it again. Um, but I know some people very close to me who have become severely addicted to marijuana and have gone through psychosis and hallucinations. And it has, in some cases, ruined those individuals' lives and in other cases brought them to the brink of losing everything, their jobs, their relationships, everything today in their life. it's much than it was when I was a kid. It's really, really... Actually, actually, I need to do another show on this and... I'm, you know, I'm hesitant sometimes to talk about my personal experiences on my show because I want it to be, you know, news based and I don't want people to think I'm always talking, you know, trying to infuse myself. But I actually should talk about my personal experience with people who've abused marijuana because it's really common now. And, and people still think that it's the safe drug. We've been fed the I, I remember being told in in high school and in college that you can't get addicted to marijuana. Really? Yes. It's impossible. It's because the problem is, Dennis. It it um, of course, unless the the edible or the joint is uh, laced with something like fentanyl, it actually is impossible to overdose on marijuana. There is no no known lethal t- uh, THC overdose amount. So people think, oh well, if there's no overdose amount, then you can't get addicted to it. It's this weird. Illogical it, line of logic, but but people, I promise you, if you took a survey of people my age, uh-huh, that's what they would. Say. Nine out of ten would say you can't get addicted. Yeah, well, we live in the age of, of foolishness. People are fools, and and if you raise your kid, oh, never smoke a cigarette, but a joint, okay. Yeah, it's uh, bad. I, I, so I, I always ask people. I said, I'm just curious if you, if it were up to you, you're about to board an airplane. You've said this on the show before. Well, I love that you remember everything because it's great. It, it really, really. Well, I bring it up to you because it's one of your classic. Uh, would alter- you rather? Would you pilot- rather alternatives that are wait, really wait, helpful? But wait, so I have two of them. I, I have a joint or a cigarette. So yeah, let's tell the let's tell the viewers. Would you rather have your pilot yes. smoke a joint or have a glass of wine before? Okay, you that's fly that's the plane? one of my two. Yes, yes. that's that's alcohol versus. Uh, 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 a joint, right? But more obvious is even tobacco. Who, in fact, I would be happy if my pilot smoked a cigarette because it's actually it makes you more alert. From all the studies that I have read, I'm using studies because that's a medical thing, and I wouldn't know. By the way, for the record, I don't smoke cigarettes, and because I I would choke if I inhaled. I smoke cigars, and th- cigars and cigarettes have almost nothing in common. But the anti-tobacco people have lied uh, for about 40 years about that. They lump all tobacco together, which is a lie. It's just a lie. You don't inhale cigars. That's the biggest difference. And the reason you don't inhale cigars, don't smoke cigars for the nicotine. You smoke cigarettes for nicotine. You smoke cigars for taste. Good to know. I've yeah. never had either. Really? Never neither. had a cigarette. Well, you never said that because you coughed with the, uh, if you inhaled a, uh, a, joint. a joint. Yeah, well, I couldn't, I couldn't inhale. I had one marijuana experience. Friends of mine in my late 20s said to me, we really want to see if you are, if you're joie de vivre, you know, your joy of life uh, is, is really real. So marijuana gets rid of all inhibitions Let's see what happened. Where is the real Dennis 
bake a brownie with marijuana. So I said, okay, I'm very curious too. What will it uncover? I've never heard this story. Yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, I, and I, I even, I think I could even find you people who were present, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Because I, I remember pretty vividly where it was. Anyway, so sure enough, they baked it into a brownie. And you know what? I, I remember vividly what I, what I became, so to speak. And, and remember, this was the first time, so it's really strong. And it was a, a, a good dose in the brownie. Oh, no. All I did was just talk. <laughs> I couldn't stop talking. <laughs> so basically, you got me on steroids. There was no depressed me underneath this me. Okay, in the spirit of full honesty, that's what would happen to me when I would take edibles. I would just start talking, talking, talking. Oh, because, really? Yes. And I, I will say this and about uh, drugs and alcohol. I mean, the only drug I've ever taken in my life is marijuana, and I've never even been around people who've taken other drugs. So I don't know what the – like, like, I swear to God I'm being honest right now. I have no idea what cocaine does to you. Right, me neither. Not just personally. Right. I mean, no, no, with I other people, like, what is the right. effect that cocaine has? I mm-hmm. don't know. But um, but I've seen, and myself, people get drunk, and I've been drunk, and I've seen people have edibles, and I've done edibles. And almost, actually, I've never seen this where it's not the case. People's real sides come out when they're when they're drunk or when they're high. It, al- I, and I'm sorry to use this word because it's kind of tawdry, but alcohol is a lubricant. It's a, it like, it makes... In every way. In every way. Right. That's it, correct. It makes... That's it, why men like to ply women with alcohol. Uh, yeah. Well, I meant, I didn't mean it so much in that sense, but I mean, it's certainly true in that sense, but it's, it's a, it makes it a lot easier for you to express what you're really feeling. Right. So here, you will love this. Okay. So here's an example of one of the many kernels of wisdom I learned in my Jewish school yeshiva in, in, in elementary school and high school. There's a saying in Hebrew that you can know a human being. Now I'm going to say it in Hebrew only because you will see how similar the words are. It's a play on words. You can know them in kiso, kaso, and koso. They sound identical, right? Very similar. Kiso, kaso, koso. Yes. Kiso means his pocket. Koso is his cup. Kaso is his anger. You can know who a human being is by how they act with their money. That's the pocket. Kizo, kaso, koso. Uh, it, when they're angry and when they drink. I love that. That I is you, so yes. true. So by the way, just par- parenthetical tangent, I learned more wisdom in fifth grade. I have an article on the internet how my – I wrote it in the last year – I I was taught more wisdom in elementary school than kids are and professors have uh, at, at at any elite school, any university in America. I believe I had more wisdom at eleven than ninety nine percent of the professors in the United States today. Let alone the seniors at at, at Harvard, Yale, or your or grandchildren. Let me tell you, because oh, they, I spent okay, time with them right. yesterday. Well, who are it. seven and twelve years old? They are. I swear, I'm not just saying this to flatter Dennis. No, I, or, I know you're not. They are the nicest, most polite young men. 
calling them young men because one of them is seven, but they, but they are just so sweet. And, and your oldest grandson, it really touched me how, um, what a sense of responsibility he felt for his brother. You know, like Jack wanted to go get a Hershey bar from the vending machine and Daniel, who's the older one, 12, was like, oh, I'll, I'll take you. I've got it. You know, and I gave him a dollar. And he, he wasn't like, oh, God, I have to take my brother to go get, you know, this thing from the vending machine. He was so happy to be with him. And they I, have more wisdom well, than well, most Well, by the way, I had him on the show. I had them both on. I listened. It was precious. Wasn't it? It and, was and really cute. And what did the older one, who's, who's just 12, what did he talk about? How he debates his his liberal teacher about the the alleged wage gap between men and women. Oh my gosh! Because he watches PragerU videos. Well, in part, that's correct. And he has and, and you as his grandfather. Well, and he has great parents. I mean, I got to give them credit, but the because uh, they deserve it. They're raising him. I'm not. Have you ever picked up a towel set because it felt really soft in the store, but then when you go to use it, it's not very absorbent? It's basically a towel that's leaving you out to dry. Well, that's why my pillow has developed the my pillow towels. Towels that work. I know. It's mind-blowing. Towels that actually dry you. Their six-piece towel set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They come in a variety of colors, and right now you can receive a six-piece set for only $39.98 with the promo code Hartman. Go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the radio listener special. MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty and have a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener special and enter the promo code Hartman, or call one 1-800-761-6302. That's MyPillow.com, promo code Hartman. But I, I want to go back to the point that led to my grandchildren. That that line you love, you know a human being by their pocket, their cup, and their anger, but they all have very similar sound in Hebrew, mm-hmm. is just another example of the wisdom I got as a kid. I, I, I take some credit for... Uh, my insights into life, but I was given a head start. See, I think that those words sound so alike in Hebrew and they're all knitted together in the way that they are shows that there's a God. That's God. That's God's. Well, you know, it's funny. Signaling his presence. Many uh, religious Jews traditionally would say Hebrew is God's language. I'll give you a beautiful Hebrew one. You'll love this. Ready? The word for truth in Hebrew, emet, three letters, is the first letter, the middle letter, and the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Truth encompasses everything. The word Again. the word for lie, sheker, three letters, the next to last, the second to last, and third to last letters in the alphabet. I love those moments that seem little and coincidental, but you really kind of... I don't of, believe it's coincidental. I, I agree with you. They're not. You you discover God through those moments. Oh, well. Even the fact that the that the moon has a face, that always captivated me when I was little. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, of course. I would lo- the I man mean, in the moon. Yes. And I would just think there's no way... I mean, obviously, that shouldn't be people's only basis for believing in god uh-huh, but, but you think it's like god's winking at us yeah he's winking at us and he's making it fun for us you know he's sprinkling some some clues around it's magical you know the more you i mean and this is a, going to be the most seemingly obvious but not widely embraced statement well what was the statement now of course uh, i'm forgetting uh, about oh, god's no. god's uh, you were gonna, probably going to say something 
that that argues for God's existence. Yes, I, I think I was going to say something along the lines of like, engage if if you really if you look up and pay attention in life and you engage in life, it's so, there are endless opportunities for you to be enriched. Right. Are you referring to God or just enriched in general? I'm. I mean, I think in when I say enriched, I in think general. about it. In, no, I no, think, think about, I think about it in, in okay. terms of God. So I had a caller. It's, it's perfect you should mention this. A guy, the caller uh, on, on the radio said, uh, you know, you're talking about um, this, this, that there's so much nonsense that people believe, you know, like men give birth. He said, well, what about the nonsense you believe? I said, for example, God. You believe in God. That's total nonsense. So <laughs> it's so interesting the the, the cert, certitude the man has that there's no God. I said to him, you know, you're more certain there is no God than I am that there is a God. I, I, I acknowledge that I allow for doubts because all faith allows for doubts. You yours though doesn't allow for doubts. You are you're, you're a true believer. Mm-hmm. It's a. It, by the way, oh, so do you know my story about when I debated the atheists? Oh. Well, I went to that. No, 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 no. Okay. What, many before. You were, uh, let's see, what would you have been? 13 years old when or, this happened. Or negative happened. 13 years. Well, no, no, I think 13. <laughs> I think it's about 10 years ago. Okay. Uh, so I was invited, to their credit, by the way, the the biggest atheist group in the United States. I think it's Atheist United, but I don't remember the name. They invited me to their convention in Minneapolis, on a, on, on a, uh, of course, on Easter Sunday. And they invited me to debate their head on God's existence. So I thought it was great. And it was to their credit. Left-wing organizations don't invite conservatives. But at least the atheist invited a believer. So we, we had this discussion. And at one point, I looked at the audience, about 400 atheists. I said, would you please raise your hand if you ever doubt your atheism? Like if you see a baby born, you go, whoa, that's really a miracle. Or maybe there is a God. Or, you know, a, a great work of art or music or... Uh, Shakespeare or a sunset, anything, does anything ever have you challenge your atheism? Not one hand went up. And then I said, you know, when I, I speak to religious audiences a lot, and if I say, raise your hand if you ever have doubts about your faith, virtually every hand goes up. So we challenge ourselves much more than you challenge yourself. They were stunned. You know, I have to tell you, Dennis, be, you know that I've been trying to go out on more dates recently. And one of the things that I, that's been bothering me when I go out on dates, and it's both shocking and unshocking to me that it bothers me, is when the person says that they don't believe in God or that they don't have an interest in God. Mm-hmm. That, and, and, Again, part of me. You're right to be bothered. Yeah, I'm. Increasingly, not just on dates, you know, with with friends sometimes. Like when. when, And by the way, I'm not, you know, you know, I I haven't even read the entire Bible. I'm still at the beginning of my journey. I I should be more diligent about it than I am. But I, but I, I have a curiosity about it. And I have respect for religion, for God, and for people who believe. When I encounter people who don't have that at the bare minimum, I I increasingly find myself not wanting to be friends with them or date them. 
Well, if you're if you're not even curious about it's it, weird. I, I then don't. You, you're not deep because yes. you don't know how important the issue is. And I and I will be really honest here too. Contempt isn't the wrong word, but I feel a little like mm-hmm. a more like a tiny, tiny, tiny shred they, they of, have lost of your anger. Yes. Again, it, yeah, it, I think it, that's a better way to put it. Anger or contempt isn't the right, but maybe it is kind of the right way to describe it. I fine. feel I feel a little bit like, well, who are you to you know be so co- cocky or confident that, that this is isn't... so? Uh, again, it's our minds melding. So I mentioned there are two books in my life that I didn't read entirely, but the title alone changed my life. That's an amazing thing. And yeah, I'll tell you is. what they are. Just as what you were saying, one of them was titled, and people could look up the book, The Arrogance of Humanism. And I remember thinking, wow, I never thought of that. It is arrogant. All of these generations before me needed God in the Bible, and I don't. I'm that brilliant. I'm that deep. I'm that moral. I, I, I have such a clear... Uh, moral compass. I don't need that. It's it's it, the arrogance is is breathtaking. The other book, which is not not a totally unrelated theme, uh, not totally but unrelated, that changed me just with its title, was written by a rabbi, a British rabbi, and I remember I was all I was studying in England in my in my, in my third year in college, and that's when I think it came out. And I bought the book in England, and I read some of it, not all of it, and the title was We Have Reason to Believe. We Have Reason to Believe. It was a double entendre. The most obvious is there are reasons to believe there is a God. But the way I took it was we were given the gift of reason in order to believe, and that's why I ended up with the Rational Bible. I have only used reason to come to belief. Only. It is not emotional. Can I give you a phrase that I thought of that I think is a double entendre? And depending on how you interpret it, it can sort of indicate whether you're a liberal or a conservative. It's This came to me recently. Think about the phrase, be who you want to be. If you're liberal, you think that phrase is, be who you want to be. If you want to, you know... Be trans, be trans. If you want to walk out into the street and wear a bikini, do that. If you want to, you know, dye your hair purple and shave half of your head and be be who you want to be. As a conservative, when I hear be who you want to be, I hear be who you want to be. If you want to be courageous Mm -hmm. in your everyday life, start, you know, cultivate that. Be, Be courageous in your everyday life. If you want to be kind, practice it. It's almost, I mean, it's not fake it till you make it, but it's strong well, in your everyday behavior that's and right. conduct, be who you want to be. That's why a, another sign of the idiocy of our age, I, I don't know of a better word, is you, you, when I hear people say or, or, uh, about themselves or about their their son or daughter, well, he, he, he's trying to figure out who he is, or I'm trying to figure out who I am. And I, I thought, I, I didn't spend five minutes in my life trying to figure out who I was. 
what I spent all of my time was figuring out who I want to be mm-hmm. and then working on it. I wanted to be courageous. I wanted to be smart. I wanted to be good. I wanted a whole host of things I want, wanted to be. I, I wanted to be able to conduct an orchestra. <laughs> so I studied to do it. The beauty of life is that you can be, in most cases, what you want to be. Now, you, it's true. I, I, I can't be a, a, an, an Olympic athlete. I, I grant that, fine. But I can be, and I could be an athlete. How many people get to be a, an Olympic athlete? One out of a million, literally, or one out of 500,000. So it's the question you should raise your kids with is not, oh, you got to find yourself. There is no self to find. You have to find the self you want to be. Yes, it's so important. The only. Did you, did you know that? I'm curious. If if in in high school, yes, I was I wasn't going to say it, but now that you've asked, I was thinking it shows that I always had conservative instincts because I thought this way from a young age. I thought from really young. I remember thinking this idea that you know finding yourself that doesn't that can really lead people down some dark, convoluted. Anyway, roads. I don't even. What does it mean? Find yourself. Yes. Well, I'm serious. I'm not being cute. What does it mean? I think it means... It doesn't mean explore your nature? In other words, am I really lazy? Am I really uh, industrious? Am I... Is that... If that's good. In other words, find out what your natural traits are and then work with them or against them, but that's not what people mean. They mean like kind of do what you want to that's do. What I, or, that's what I... Right. Or, or that there's something there to find it's all right anyway go well, on no, it, ca- it causes a lot of because i remember the the reason why i thought it was kind of stupid as a kid is because i again as i said on the show and as i say all the time and as you know and our viewers know about me you know i'm i'm always kind of regulating myself because i really want to make sure i'm on a, a good path in life with not just my job and my friends, but my character, everything. I'm really trying to steer myself well. And I've always been like that. And I remember when people would say, find yourself, I got a lot of anxiety because I would think, am I doing this wrong? It, well, what am I, what am I, fi- you know, have I not, have I not found myself? You know, what, what do I need to do to do that? And then I came to the answer, no. Like the only way that you can really, should find yourself is what you're interested in. And I think in that way, I have work to find myself. Well, let me but say, though. as far as your character, yeah. you're right. It's not finding but yourself. even interest. Look, uh, let me tell you about my stepson, Reed, because I remember this vividly. Uh, you know, I, he's been in my life since he's, a, since he's a young kid. So I remember in high school, uh, for I don't know what it would be called extracurricular activity, but the non-academic pursuit. So he wanted I don't remember what it was. He wanted whatever it was, and it was already filled. There was only one thing left by the time his turn came, and it was uh, what would it be theater production, like sets, building sets for for theater plays that the kids would put on at school and he and he thought oh god it's the last thing on earth i want as a result of that he became 
almost a genius in in constructing things. And I don't, I don't mean sets for theater, but he's now a major IT figure. It totally opened him up. So he, he that's his field. He's a, he's professional at it. Right. He makes a living at it. He works at PragerU, right? He, well, he did for years. Yes. Oh, that's right. Oh. He's now he wanted to be independent, which which I totally uh, identify with. But is it's so interesting that that is very important. Even that is not accurate. Find out what you're interested in. You don't know what you're interested well, explore, in. But that's, that's finding. It. Okay, but yes. But I think that's what it means. I oh, think finding okay, fine. out is exploring. Oh, uh, I thought fi- finding out without exploring. No, no. You know, just look inward. No. Looking inward. No, you have to explore. Yeah, if you look inward, there's not much you'll see. <laughs> but you shouldn't explore your ca- – I mean, you should explore, as you say, your nature and, and recognize what, what you're good at, what you're not good at, I suppose morally. But you shouldn't – explore uh your character you should build right and that's strengthen a, your right. character yeah if you look within your character is probably we Bad. don't start out all that good yeah but, yes that's why parents have to criticize their kids i remember when i was at a uh at that um debate that you had with a rabbi on the subject of uh, whether uh-huh. people are innately good good which right. by the way the fact that was even the <laughs> No, it's painful. It, it is it, painful. It, yes. The fact that was even the premise of the debate it right. is painful. But you, uh, during the Q&A session, I remember a, a young man went up to the podium and said, Mr. Prager, you looking at me right now, not knowing me, do you think I'm good, bad, extraordinary, or evil? I thought, oh, that's kind of a, you know, and I thought, I thought you gave a great answer. You said, you're a human being. So you're, you know, I'm not, I don't know if you're bad. But your your instincts are not good. Yeah, well, he thought it would be a real tough riddle. Anyway, what you are and what human nature is is obviously a different question. Right. That's why I don't know why people can't think more clearly. I, I, don't, I understand that people aren't going to have total clarity of thought. But you don't realize that, oh, well... The, the average person you meet, you know, on the street or in the elevator or in line on an airport or whatever, you, you think they're bad? That's not the question. The question is human nature. If the average person I meet in the street is a good person, they've conquered their nature. Right. You know, it's what you just said, why don't people think more clearly? It's something that I wonder a lot because on on the one hand, if people don't – if they haven't been exposed to good influences – that's one explanation. But today, I mean, all we, we talk all the time about how there are many bad influences, but we also do have a lot of good influences. We have people like you, and hopefully one day, if I get to your level, me. You know, we, we don't, we have, we have some great public figures here in the United States. You know, Ron DeSantis is one of them. Like, we're not, you know... People in this society, yes, they have bad influences, but it's not like they're in an echo chamber. And so what I don't understand is when people are exposed to good influences, when someone does, you know, tell them the right thing or gives them a kernel of wisdom, why don't they take it? Hmm. Well, uh, this will sound pompous, but it's Is it not... just in their nature not to take it? Sorry, I, I, I cut you off. They don't want to take it. Yeah. So... Uh, 
this is not a this is something I would only say of Dennis and Julie is a good example because I'm saying it to you and not uh, and I'm not alone just announcing it if if when I read and there are many people who hate my guts uh, you just explore the internet and you'll find it and and I think I it has no effect on me none whatsoever as you know and none, my, by right. the way, none. Thank Truly, you. I, I thought right. maybe it would have one percent of an effect right. on you. It doesn't. Yeah, correct. But it does tell me about them. It, I, I. It doesn't tell me about you if you disagree with me, but if you hate me, it doesn't tell me anything about me. It tells me everything about you. I know that I aim to do good and do good. There are, there are very many people who have better marriages because of my male-female hour. There are many happier people because of my happiness book, happiness lectures, and happiness hour. There are many people who, who have reconciled with their parents because they heard me. Okay, how many leftists who hate my guts can say that? Zero. Zero. How many people are kinder because they were influenced by a leftist? Zero. Not, on, not only that, but how many people are angrier. That's right. Less unhe- grateful. Yes. Unhealthier. Right. All of that. When your kid, I mean, it's, it, look, unfortunately, uh, this is so painful for some people listening to this. Your kid comes home from college, woke. Are they kinder? Are they more respectful? <laughs> it really is sad. Are they a finer human being? It is not possible to become woke and become kind. No. It is not possible. It is like becoming taller and shorter at the same time. You can't. They're mutually exclusive. Well, I say that. I say to people sometimes when I'm debating about religion, I say, if you were on trial and you could have a jury of 10 or 12, well, how many are on juries? 12, 12, yeah. 12 religious people or 12 non-religious people, who would you want? And... Most of them well, say that they that's get... interesting. So they would say, well, it depends. You know, knowing that I was a leftist, I would prefer secular people. So, it, But you're thinking of just where politics had nothing to do with your crime yes. while you're charged. Yes. Who would you trust more to, yes. to well, I rule ha- I, honorably? Well, I, I, and it's the same I, thing with woke people. Would you rather have 12 non-woke people or 12 woke people? Well... That's interesting, but I'll give you one that's proof. So I asked Pearl and Sam Oliner, O-L-I-N-E-R, two professors at Humboldt State, Cal, Cal State Humboldt, who were uh, both sociologists, secular, totally secular people, secular Jews. And I interviewed them, this is about 35 years ago, because they wrote a book on altruism, which is very interesting to me why people do good i'm more interested in why people do good than why they do bad because the, the the why people do good is the outlier and i asked them because they were writing about among other things rescuers of jews non-jewish rescuers of jews because if you rescued if you hit a jew in the holocaust you were you were risking your life yeah and and maybe your family's life it was an incredible risk to hide a jew especially in Poland. And and so I asked them, knowing everything you now know, and they were from Europe, 
with all your studies of rescuers of Jews and altruism, if you were a Jew in 1941 in Poland, 42, and you needed to be hidden to save your life, you could knock on one door, a Polish lawyer, a Polish doctor, a Polish professor, or a Polish priest, which door would you knock on? And they were, I I emphasize, neither was at all religious. And they said the priest. Mm. That's that's more dispositive even than the jury, I think. Yes, it is. So I think, uh, Sean, are we about uh, timed out? Gosh, it goes by so fast. Thank God. And there were other there were other subjects that well, we're going we to have, get to. We have I have so to write many. them down. I do have to write y- them. You down. know what I was thinking is the the magic of this podcast. If we do say so ourselves, we just we really think we're in a room together That's having correct. a conversation, and there are like well, there we are just, times we, we have these conversations oh, and say oh, it sounds totally. like we're doing our podcast. Well, we have to stop ourselves before we get on the air because we say this would be so good yeah. if it recorded, yes. but we just. That's true. We both like don't really it's, realize well, that we're on the air. Thank God, and it's very real, which is everything, and that's what our new friend Astrid loves. Real. That's right. Is she still in there, <laughs> or has she gotten so bored and tired of us? <laughs> you can reach me at Julie at Julie Hartman dot com, and please follow us on. Uh, now I quizzed you about this last week, Dennis. So let's see if you remember what is our Instagram handle. BrooklynDodgers.com. Take it, take it, take it. Oh, yes, at Brooklyn Dodgers. Oh, my gosh. Is that right, Sean? Did I get it right, Sean? (laughs) At Dennis Julie Pod. And you can follow me at Julie R. Hartman. And please watch my show, Timeless, tomorrow. Because Dennis and Julie is on Mondays and then Timeless. I'm looking at you on the screen. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Me? Yeah. Oh gosh! Well, oh we got. Know. Oh yeah, that's a subject. That's a subject. Women's self-image. Yeah, that that's key. Yeah, we're gonna do. I don't that think one. I'm an ogre, but that's, no, no, that's okay, nice. You don't to think say you're pretty. an ogre? That is adorable. Okay, everybody, great to be with Shalom. you. Shalom. Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.